0: Hey everybody, Christian Carvajal here, Editor Emeritus of Oli Arts. Welcome to Sound Stages. You know what this is. It's our weekly podcast, well, weekly-ish, dedicated to theater entertainment all over the South Sound. This week's episode, I should warn you, may contain explicit language and references to topics that might be unsuitable for our younger listeners. So, on behalf of Oli Arts, thanks for listening. Happy Friday, everybody! This is Christian Carvajal, or maybe you're listening to this late and it's the weekend. In any case, it is the last weekend of As You Like It from the fledgling Goldfinch Productions in Lacey and Olympia and Yelm and parts all over. And we're doing a special bonus episode this week. We already talked to Animal Fire Theatre about their production of The Merry Wives of Windsor. But as we mentioned in that episode, we get a trifecta, a trio, a holy trinity of Shakespeare this summer, (laughs) in part of our ongoing mission to turn Olympia into what I call Ashland North. We may not have quite the talent base they have in Ashland. We certainly do not have the budgets they have in Ashland. But you get three free summer Shakespeare programs. That's pretty amazing, not to mention creative theater experience and other educational programs that are going on all over town. The guy you heard laughing a minute ago was Kevin McManus. Hi, Kevin. Hello, everyone. Kevin is a friend of mine from Communicating Doors and some other theater we've done together. But I first met him through his work for Standing Room Only in Yelm. And now Kevin is, I guess I would say, the driving force behind Goldfinch. Is that correct?
1: I have a lot of folks that I'm working with, and I would be remiss to claim all the credits. I have a really great board around me. But I did put that board together, so I guess uh, I kind of have some say over what goes on. And I'm just really enjoying controlling the projects and letting them kind of run the business. So I really have to give up some credit to them as well.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the catbird seat, isn't it? When you can just make art and let somebody else pay the bills. That's pretty sweet. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of projects, Kevin is also the director of and cast member in the first production from Goldfinch, which is As You Like It. So tell me why, and now I've asked you this for the print article already, but why was that the first show chosen? Well, and again, considering business and
1: considering creative events, we decided to go with a public domain show. So we looked through the catalog of public domain projects that were available, and a couple of our board members and myself are very, very into doing Shakespeare. And we felt like Olympia, Lacey, Thurston County area, use a little bit more in the way of outdoor theater and we love animal fire they actually came and saw the show last night and we were kind of interchangeable a lot of the people that work with them work with us and vice versa and then we wanted to provide a complimentary outdoor theater experience as you like it was on the board because i hadn't seen it done in quite some time ironically once we chose it seattle shakespeare company decided to go ahead and take it up and it was only just a couple months ago and it was a wonderful version of the production But I like As You Like It because, and as I said to you in the print article, I think that there's a comment on, I wouldn't call it a comment on class, but there is definitely the idea that there's the courts and there's the country and there's a character in the show that even has a comment about the behavior of people in the court and the country. And I think that the discussion about equity is kind of an important one to people of our area. And I think that that... This show actually lends itself well to that conversation and contributes to it in a positive
0: way. Well, one thing I've noticed about really all three of the show is because, as you know, I'm involved in The Tempest, which Oliworks is putting together for the latter part of August is that Shakespeare was often quite concerned with the concept of gender fluidity, something we've come back around to 400 years later. And it's interesting to me because you get these characters like Viola in Twelfth Night and then Rosalind here, who in Shakespeare's day would have been a teenage boy playing a teenage girl playing a teenage boy in adult (laughs) romantic roles. And it's funny to me because that would have been enough of a joke. in elizabethan england oh there's a kid in a dress i get it and then you know we've had that convention in western comedy ever since then where a guy in a dress is just automatically funny i don't know that that's automatically funny anymore i don't know that a show like bosom buddies would be a guaranteed laugh how do you expand on that concept for a modern production keeping in mind everything we've learned over the last generation well,
1: for me, I think being a part of our community specifically, and I think in Olympia, we have maybe a better understanding in a lot of ways of what it means to be gender fluid and to be around people who are exploring who they are and what their identity is. And so we have people in the show, in this production, that are they, them, identifying. And we have had conversations with them through the process. When we selected the show... That was not the heavy part. I mean, I know it is a major league part of the show. I mean, it's obviously one of the more important themes of the show. But it wasn't something that we heavy-handedly focused on. I think that it's only just a tool to get her, Rosalind, into the woods and make sure that her father and her lover don't recognize who she is. Other than that, we did not heavy-handedly focus on that as the important part of our show.
0: It's the Clark Kent rule, right? You put one extra clothing item on people and suddenly no one can recognize them.
1: Exactly. Well, if you watch the Kenneth Branagh version, it's actually, (laughs) it's very funny how they just kind of toss a hat on her in a little jacket and she (laughs) wouldn't even do a different voice in the movie. And so when I saw that, I realized that the audience would suspend disbelief just enough that the comment is made and then we move on. And for me, there's so many other things that we can be discussing in this production that is so much more paramount and so much more important as far as what themes are we focusing on we're focusing on equity we're focusing on that kind of thing so in our conversations with the people in our production we heard some folks express some concern that sometimes the way people handle it it becomes kind of like you said it's like that's just funny there's a guy in a dress We didn't want to touch on it so hard. We didn't like the heavy-handed thing where we didn't want to shine the light so brightly on that, but it became, that's the joke of the show. And we also cut out some dialogue if we adapted the show just for our purposes. And so what we decided to cut out, we decided that some of the conversations about how she looks in the clothing and things like that, we decided that wasn't important for our production. So we just kind of left it
0: out. Well, I think you're right. I think this production, in a very brisk cut of a longish play, actually does skip past that stuff pretty blithely. But when I was talking to your cast member Jody Chapin after the show, I did ask specifically about concept. And the first thing she talked about was class. And it strikes me that like Elyria in Twelfth Night or like the unnamed island in The Tempest, the semi-fictitious Forest of Arden is kind of a place where all the roles you're born into fly out the window, right? Including class. Yeah, that would be the focus that we took. I don't know that that was the
1: comment exactly that Shakespeare was making, although there are, like I said, there is a character that talks about it specifically and explicitly. But instead of passing over that, I've decided that that was kind of the cool conversation that we could have with the audience And I just view Arden as kind of, I come from a place called Yelm, and a lot of people who know where Yelm is, it's right down the street, it's in Thurston County, but it's a very different kind of place from the rest of thurston county
0: yeah that's a long 45 minute drive isn't it you you go from one year to another you know it's really a different kind of world and i love people from yelm but i'm more of an olympian
1: so when i go out there even having been born there i feel like i'm going to a place that i may not always fit into the conversations that are taking place there but i think it's interesting to have those conversations to allow for differences of ideas and opinions if we can and to the degree that we are able so thinking about someone from the court and who, as they say in the show, if the courtiers kiss hands and that would be uncleanly in the Forest of Arden, I just think that that's an interesting idea that you can be different, but then in the end, everybody in the Forest of Arden is a happy ending. And Spoiler alert, of course. <laughs> I just think that's an interesting thing to explore.
0: Well, it's a strange kind of comedy, isn't it? You know, we've talked about this before in the show that... In Elizabethan definitions, if a show ended in death, it was a tragedy. If a show ended in marriage, it was a comedy. And this show does end in pairings, at least, and there's a marriage along the way. But it's a bizarre, kind of laid-back form of comedy. It's a pastoral in tone as well as location.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that entirely. When we were looking at the script as we were adapting it, we were trying to find the moments of comedic emphasis as far as like what he actually wrote in as jokes. And really, I view this as almost like a stand up comedy routine by Shakespeare in some kind of way. There are more actual written verbal jokes there that are present because there's not so much height. There's not really a huge arc along a lot of the characters. Like the character of Audrey, she comes in, she serves the purpose of being cussed at, and then she goes and leaves. Well, we decided that we could make a little bit more of that. We decided to go with, in this production, all of the people in Arden have southern accents, and I guess... (laughs) When Alec Clayton saw it, he felt like they might be from Tennessee. (laughs) I
0: find Alec's ear for accents interesting because he is, of course, from the Gulf South. And yet he has a tough time, I think, sometimes telling one Southern accent from another. It all just sounds like home to him, I think.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Well, that's an interesting thing because I'm glad that for me, I grew up again in a community where people had Southern accents, even though we're from the North. I'm not quite sure why they were there.
0: I've noticed that I call them NASCAR accents. You get the same thing in parts of Mason County where it really reminds me of Oklahoma, where I came of age. It's almost like driving halfway across the country to go to Shelton sometimes.
1: Yeah, and see, so for me, the adding that piece in really opened up the barrel of comedy that I thought could be there because the character development in the text is really more focused on the jokes that are written. So there are the jokes that are written there for the person who can really sift through the dialogue and through the text. And there's jokes that are written specifically for laugh lines. Many, many, many times um, I'm sitting there going, that's a joke. That is getting passed over because it's a script and we're moving through and it's kind of going fast and maybe the audience kind of missed it. Although Animal Fire being there last night, we kind of got a few extra laughs that I was kind of looking for. That was great.
0: A little more Shakespearean-tuned audience, maybe?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's nice sometimes because having a community that doesn't, or to this point hasn't had a humongous exposure to the work, it can be difficult because I'll get a lot of the time. I don't really understand what happened, but I love the characters. And so that's nice. Once somebody does some slapstick, you get a little bit of a yokey laugh or whatever. But there's some really funny jokes in this. But I realized early on that this production, this script, this work really needed to have some really seriously considered developed characters, and so Audrey, instead of being just a character who walks on and walks off and is a tool for the movement of the story, she's this extremely boisterous Grabbing and on who plays Sylvius by the hand, and she's dragging him around the stage and adding little points and moments and like that, I think is drawing in audience members who are not normally tuned into the comedy of Shakespeare.
0: No, it's like if Shakespeare wrote an episode of Hee Haw in some parts of the script. <laughs> Oh
1: my god, yeah, I like that actually That's a very nice compliment
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting to me that you mentioned earlier The affinity this script has in some ways with stand-up comedy Because watching it last night Now, I saw it on a Thursday night over in Sunrise Park Beautiful space in Western Olympia That I honestly wasn't even aware existed Most people don't know it's there It's Um, so strange because it's like Yeah, it's like five blocks from a strip mall that I used to go to all the time and I still didn't know it was there. But I noticed watching the show last night that it is presented... Very presentationally, there's a lot of direct address to the audience. And at times, it almost was like somebody walked up to a mic in front of a brick wall and started doing a stand up routine. Yeah. And it puts a spin on a character like Jaquise, who's basically the Marvin the paranoid android or the Eeyore of the story, right? Jaquise comes wandering and goes, By the way, we're all gonna die. Enjoy your wedding. <laughs> and. <laughs> <laughs> But it does make that person almost a Stephen Wright type stand up comedian, which is an interesting spin. Yeah, for me, that all the world's a stage and all the men
1: and women merely players. Normally, I think it's uh, addressed to the Duke, and there's like this it's a dialogue between two or three people and early on i noticed that like you're saying there's the eeyore effect i wanted jacques to be very cerebral in their mind about everything and like you said there's always a couple lines where it's like well i guess i gotta die because i'm not giving you my food and stuff like that like Mm -hmm. i just think that that person maybe could be flat i mean you get your kevin klein version of the character from the movie where he's very funny and they chose a funny actor to do it But for me, I wanted to see something when I play Duke Frederick, which wasn't supposed to happen, but I'm happy to do it. I want that to be a very serious moment. I noticed that people wanted to laugh, but it's kind of a serious deal when somebody says, hey, you better get out of here or you're going to die. So I wanted to add in this show can be extremely emotional at times. And there's a lot of other things that are going on. There's intellectual conversation about, like I said, the class equity conversation that's happening here. And then all of a sudden you got all these other jokes that are just layered over it, so then it's just considered a pastoral comedy and everybody kind of tosses it off. But I think just that one monologue of Jacques's alone is enough to give you a pausing moment to go, wow, there are seven ages of man," And if you really listen to each of the stages, this Jacquees has really considered it. And it's a very succinct and very to the point and no nonsense. And so... I didn't want it to be this pantomimed thing that gets passed over. I wanted the audience to really listen to the words. So no,
0: man. there's nothing off the cuff about that speech. It's as if Jack wrote it, thought about it, edited, and memorized it in case <laughs> it ever came in handy, right?
1: Exactly. I mean, it really is very purposeful. There's an arc to the line that, yeah, you would really have to write it down, or else, I mean, I can't imagine anybody really just coming off the cuff with that.
0: Especially um, a guy who mispronounces his own first name. I mean, that's... <laughs> We thought about that twice in time. I desperately wanted to pronounce
1: all the French words correctly, but in the tradition, we decided to go with not doing that, of course. Also, Amanda Kemp, who plays Rosalind, was actually raised in Germany, so she has a ear and a tongue for the French language. And so whenever we asked her to say a word, like accoutrements, we asked her to say that. Instead uh, of a
0: coup de mal? And
1: she was outraged that we would even suggest such a thing.
0: Yeah, I also am versed in French, and it's the only language that when you use it like they use it on the street, you still sound pretentious.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're having the same problem on The Tempest, actually, because everybody in the play apparently pronounces the name of the Italian city Milan. It's the only way it scans, and it comes up, I think, dozens of times in the script. And that's what I'm still having to make my mouth do. Well, we live in a world that is supposedly beyond class. But I think one thing we've learned from social media is that American politics are still divided along regional tribal lines that are in fact really rooted in class and in our own perceptions of our class and who's trying to keep us down and who's trying to take our stuff and where the threats come from. And it is interesting that this forest gives these characters a chance to just start from scratch with each other and see where they stand and uh, maybe this is a great time to think about those kinds of things. Yeah, and see, I mean, I just, I saw that kind of early on when we were doing
1: our readings early. I mean, we were going through script after script of what can we do, what is important for us to emphasize. I was looking for a story that people could latch onto, and maybe they wouldn't even know why, but there was something there more than just going to see a theatrical play. I wanted them to be able to latch onto the concept that was being discussed inside the story. And so it's not just a bunch of characters rubbing up against each other and then in the end they take a bow. It's a conversation that can be continued off the stage and into the pub afterwards for a cast party or for, you know, maybe you're going out with one of the actors. That conversation should continue, and I think two things for me, and this is my personal case outside of Goldfinch and everything else, but I hope that in the future when we're beyond this, I would call horrifying moment in American history, (laughs) I hope that we can come together and have conversations with people whose ideas we don't like without disliking or hating the people who have those ideas and maybe understand why they developed those ideas, where the ideas came from. And so you go to the Forest of Arden from the court and you, oh, they're not going to kiss my hand, and there's all these, God make incision in me, says Touchstone, because he doesn't have the tools necessary to have a respectful and meaningful conversation with the character Corin, played by Joe Shea. I just think that we can develop those tools. And I think this show could be a way for people to find that conversation and figure out if you're looking for it, you're going to see it. And so and we worked on that. It's going to take everybody dropping their veils and dropping their armor and putting down the sword for a little bit and having that conversation. And even so small, like, you know, you were talking about Yelm, having that conversation with people in Yelm, a lot of Trump supporters out there, just to be direct, And I'm not one. So when I go out there and I'm having conversations with old friends and family, I have to be prepared to hear ideas that I don't want to hear and find a way to love the person and have that conversation. And I think that we're trying to emphasize that in this production.
0: Well, if Trump is anything positive for American history, maybe it's as a reset button where we all uh, take a deep breath at the end of this, however it ends. Yeah, we start from scratch. We go to our own Forest of Arden. Well, speaking of moving forward, we're recording this on Friday morning of the production's second weekend. How many shows you got left?
1: We've got tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday.
0: Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. 7 p.m. Every one?
1: Each one, yeah.
0: And all of those are in Sunrise Park, right?
1: Sunrise Park, at 505 Bing, Northwest Street. So right,
0: it's basically two or three blocks behind Jefferson Middle School, right?
1: Yeah, that's there's the middle school over there. The thing is, is you might have a hard time finding it without like a GPS, but it really is only a couple blocks off of Division, so hopefully you can find us out there.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's free, and the park is beautiful, and you'll be surprised that space exists, some of you, and it's definitely worth the trip. So what is coming up for Goldfinch Productions? A very exciting next project that we have announced, we're going
1: to do Misanthrope by Bollier. That is a new poetic adaptation, which we are working with local poets to actually readapt the translations that are available. So what we're doing is we're taking a group of people and handing a scene away to a couple poets and letting them suss out the conversation and re-adapt it with new poetic terms one character is going to be speaking in haiku another is going to be speaking in couplet something along those lines so it's going to be really exciting the adaptation and that collaboration with those folks is my first exciting bit of work that we've done on it we'll be having auditions for that for anyone who is an actor in We're auditioning on July 30th and 31st in Lacey at the Lacey Timberland Library at 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. And then on August 7th and 8th, from 5 to 7 p.m. at Olympia Timberland Library in downtown. And then we're asking people to prepare a monologue, come on in. And we want to get to know people. A lot of people don't know us, so you can come and get to know what kind of folks we are. And it's just going to be a really fun new experience. And even if you've done or seen the misanthrope before, you haven't seen this one.
0: So. No, this is brand new stuff. That's very interesting. It'll be interesting to see the challenges and opportunities that presents to actors as they switch from one meter and one form to another and what that does to the comedy, if anything.
1: Yeah, that's the one part that I actually did emphasize in my early conversations with these poets, is that we don't want to lose the sense of humor that a Richard Wilbur had when he was translating or what he perceived as Moliere's comedic style or sense of humor. So we want to make sure that we're taking seriously what they actually were trying to get across to the audience. So while we're writing new words and we're doing our own kind of poetry We don't want to make it so melancholy and so out there, and we don't want to change what actually worked. So focusing on what worked and what didn't work and finding our way back to something that works for us.
0: Well, as somebody who was involved in Dow's production of Tartuffe a few years ago, I'll give you a word of unasked for advice. (laughs) Once you have picked a meter, stick to it as closely as you can, because as soon as you vary from it, that verse becomes very hard to memorize your brain yeah your brain subconsciously tries to correct the meter and then you can't remember what word comes next we banged our head against that for weeks so I play, so I'll-
1: and as you like it, and mm-hmm. then what we decided to do is do, usually the god Hymen and has this monologue at the end. Well, we just decided to give it to the pagan priest in the show, Sir Oliver Marquez. And that final monologue, I had such a hard time with it. If it wasn't written the way it was, I probably would, it would have been 10 times as hard because yeah. it really does follow, like you're saying, that meter of
0: that dumb, that dumb, right? You don't want it to sound like a Hallmark card, but on the other hand, your brain gets tuned to that melody. And, yeah, I suppose it's a big ask at the very end of a show to get the audience to figure out why the hymen is talking. That's, uh... <laughs> um, yeah, we
1: we almost just cut it out entirely, the whole thing, but it's actually a lovely monologue, a lot of people know it. But, yeah, there's some stuff. If you cut everything out, like, you know, you've got a, the character of Shylock in Merchant of Venice. If you cut out certain things, you're cutting out part of the show that kind of matters, and so... There's stuff you got to get used to, like the uncomfortable. Like, there's a couple lines where we decided to not hold, like, the word sluttish appears. Now, in that time, and I, he may have even invented the word slut. That
0: might have worked then, but we decided to go with strumpet. Maybe only just marching But okay. I, I just thought it hit so harshly on the
1: ear. So you got to choose with Shakespeare what you're going to keep and what you're going to try to make, make sure your audience receives the message rather than here is something that they don't like and jumps on, you know.
0: Yeah, there's an interesting long conversation to be had there, I think, about when you're doing any material prior to the current generation, something's out of date, right? And so do audiences deserve an opportunity to hate part of a script, right? Or as a director and somebody who's trying to make your company successful, do you cut that out or obfuscate or rewrite so that they can focus on the overarching story Yeah, I think we go through that conversation every time we approach those old pieces, and you'll see it a lot more.
1: I'm going to include the cast because they've got to say the words, so I'm a little democratic on that. I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable with it so that they deliver it in such a way that the audience is uncomfortable. So I definitely included the cast a little bit. And of course, Ed Thorpe is actually the person who, and uh, he's on our board. And, and people might know him from Olympia Theater Club and different things around town. He's mm-hmm. been around for a long time, but he actually adapted this book. But I wanted in those conversations to have the cast.
0: So let me finish with this. As you look ahead to the next five years of Goldfinch, let's be super optimistic here. Five years from now, what kinds of stuff would you like the company to be able to do? What's on your bucket list?
1: Oh Well, I have this drive, this urge to do two things really one old work really old work obviously the misanthrope and things like this that can be done and seen in a different way so i've seen the misanthrope before i saw it at the when i've seen it a hundred times before i'm excited to watch this show after it's done because i want to see the misanthrope again and fall in love with the story again and so i think that's an opportunity that we have where We can take these old, a lot of the time, public domain scripts, which as a young company, we don't want to pay for rights if we don't have to. And the other thing that we want to do is we want to do musicals and smaller musicals and ones that you may not have heard of. Like there's a musical called Be It's for Beer that we're looking at. Tom Robbins was the Pulitzer Prize winning author of that. There's God Bless Mr. Rosewater. There's all these really unique and interesting and wonderful musicals that people haven't heard of. And there may be issues with them. There's a lot of people, I call them problem plays and problem musicals. But we want to maybe try to take those on and find a way to make them less problematic. And also, I think that being in a smaller setting with some of those things might help with that. So we're trying to be a little theater company that does some really impactful work. Some stuff that you may have heard of or that you may not have heard of before that really makes you rethink, OK, well, that I can do anything on stage. We really can do anything as long as we make it entertaining. I mean, as long as people want to laugh and people want to cry when they're supposed to be doing that, really, that's a success. And then, of course, if you can make a little money while doing it, that's the greatest success.
0: All right. Well, if that sounds good to you, Thurston County and parts surrounding, why don't you get in on the ground floor? Go see what Goldfinch Productions is up to with As You Like It. You'll recognize Kevin McManus. He's the one at the end of the play dressed like Father Guido Sarducci. And... Go up to him after the play and ask him about auditioning. Ask him about spaces if you have one available. Talk to him about how you can be constructive in building an even bigger theater community here in Olympia. And Kevin, anything you want to add to that? No, that's great. Please do come see as you like it and keep your eyes on us at
1: goldfinchproductions.org is a great place to go. I'm on there every day updating with these and different things. You can see who is involved in our production company as well, so.
0: Yep, and the show is free, but bring a few bucks. They do pass the hat at the end and bring something to sit on and bring something to eat. And yeah. maybe don't necessarily bring toddlers. <laughs> we had some unexpected cameo appearances in the show last night. That was...
1: We was wonderful. And that's kind of the part of performing in the park that is kind of exciting and unique and new and fun for us. So.
0: <laughs> and challenging, let's say, for the actors. Yes. There's always <laughs> something to talk over, right? Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: All right. So as you like it, at Sunrise Park in Western Olympia through this weekend. Get out there and take a look. And that will get you ready if you haven't seen merry wives of windsor already you should definitely go see that very funny very well produced show from animal fire theater and hey i hear there's a production of the tempest coming up at port plaza there's going to be tall ships behind it seagulls crapping on the actors it'll be so exciting there's youtube fodder for days there okay so until we talk about the tempest everybody thanks for joining us kevin thank you for joining us Thank
1: you so much, Christian, and thanks to the community for continuing to support theater.
0: Absolutely, and thanks to the community for continuing to support us here at Oli Arts. We'll talk to you soon on Sound Stages.